Last week we saw Jacob's plan to find favor with his brother Esau by giving large portion of his holdings to his brother with hopes that this would be sufficient to lead Esau to show favor to him. Jacob, as he thought about this meeting, was quite frightened and fearful because he heard that Esau was coming with 400 men. And so he put his family toward the back of this great number of, of groups, these droves upon droves, as we heard about last week. He still wasn't sure what Esau would do, and there, there certainly was a crisis moment for him. He couldn't sleep that night, as we could well imagine, when we get anxious about something or excited about something. We have difficulty sleeping, and as he sat there, he thought, well, I'm going to move my wives and children across the river, and then he went back across the river to be alone in what would not be a peaceful night. Let's listen to that account, Genesis 32, starting at verse 22. This is the Word of God. Give your complete attention to the reading of it. That same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear people of God, have you had a life-changing encounter with God? That is what Jacob deals with here this morning. I can remember when the Lord called me to ministry. It was rather life-altering because I didn't like speaking in front of people. That was hard to imagine how I would become a minister if I couldn't speak in front of people. My brother convinced me to go to Bible college and while there, the Lord made clear that that is what he was going to have me do. And my question was, but I can't. How how am I going to do this? How am I going to get in front of people and talk? How am I going to to go and do what you've called me to do? 
I can relate to, to Jacob wanting to work his ways and, and kind of go his own, take his own path. And, and to a degree, don't misunderstand me this morning, people of God. I'm not saying we don't have to plan and, 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 and consider our gifts and our talents and then say, well, this is the way I'm going to go. This is the way I believe uh, the Lord has gifted me. But what I'm saying is sometimes we're, we're called to, 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 to go and, and there's that element. And indeed, if we're following the Lord, there's a, there's a bit of a, of a angst about it. We think, wow, I can't do this on my own. I, 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 I've got this all planned out. But, but now you're asking me to, you're adding something to this that, that really, it, it's more than I can handle. I can relate to, to Jacob here as God is working on him and in him, and, and he's, he works on us, and he works in us in the same way, often getting us out of our comfort zone, bringing us beyond. Indeed, that's, that's, that's what we often uh, need, need to remember, that God promises grace sufficient for what he gives. He doesn't say that he's never going to give us anything we can't handle. In fact, very often, he'll put something before us that we can't handle and say, well, now, how are you going to get through this? And we have to say, only by your grace, only by your help, only by your strengthening. And Jacob had a checkered past. He had taken paths that weren't uh, the way to, to get to where God is bringing him. He was a thief. He was a deceiver. He, was, he had his own means of, of getting what God had, had promised to him. And his sin had consequences. His choices had consequences, and one of them was he had to flee from home, and now he had been gone 20 years, and he was returning back, and his brother who wanted to murder him when he left uh, is is there, and he's, he's afraid. He's not excited about seeing his brother, and he prays to God for deliverance from him. He says, please deliver me from my brother, and we can imagine it might have been, well, it just... Send him away, or, or the, the thoughts, what does that mean? Deliver me. Well, however you can do it, Lord. Maybe there's another way. Well, his plans, his plans, his ways had not built him up. I think that's important for us to recognize as we think about Jacob's life. Here he is. He's laid his plans out. And what is he doing here this night before he meets his brother Esau? He's not resting. He's restless. He's uncertain. He's fearful. Friends, that's how it is when we take our own ways, when we try to go our own way and do things that we know God would not have us to do. We say, well, I don't have a choice. I've got to do this. And, and the result is we're restless. We know there's, that we're not trusting. We know that we're not, we're not resting in the Lord and, and we become very restless. Remember in his prayers, we saw last week, what he didn't ask God was, what is your will, O Lord? That's hard for us to do, to say, your will be done, Lord. After Jacob had made his plans to meet Esau, he's alone. And he's restless. And suddenly he's no longer alone. A man appears and wrestles with him. We don't know why this came about. Was he praying? Was he thinking about the events of the next day, it's not altogether clear. But in his restlessness, a man appears and initiates a wrestling match with Jacob. Who was this man? Well, we know it's not Esau. It's not one of Laban's 
uh, workers, none of his men, Jacob and this man wrestled all night till this unidentified man said, let me go. He's not prevailing against Jacob, and he says, let me go, for the day has broken. What an event. What a, what a, what a night. And we'll, we'll look at this more in a few moments, but let me just ask you, have you ever heard that phrase, the dark night of the soul? You've probably heard that phrase. It, it speaks of how even in the lives of believers, there's time where we're just, we're, we're depressed, we're, we're we're down. It doesn't mean we don't have we have no faith, but it means we've come up against something that leads us to be very unsettled. And quite often, that dark night of the soul is is right before there's growth in faith, real faith, because we're brought to the end of ourselves. We see the 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 scene before us. We say it's 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 too much. I, I can't handle it. Think of how many uh, individuals dealt with this. Job had that. Jeremiah had that. We can think of David experiencing that. Many of the Psalms speak, express his, his anxieties, his fears, his struggles. We have accounts of the saints dealing with the dark night of the soul. I remember, I was reminded this week of Paul's difficulties. He went through much hardship. He records it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, all of the shipwrecks and the beatings and the rest. And he, he knew weakness. He knew affliction. And he was perplexed at times. He says, I acknowledge I was perplexed. I I don't know what's going on. What is happening? Maybe you have experiences of that even now. But he says in these perplexities, in these trials, he doesn't despair. And he doesn't despair because he remembers who he's serving. He remembers who's watching over him. He remembers who's called him on that Damascus road. The Lord Jesus has called him and is leading he learns to lean on Christ through these trials. In fact, he says, I boast in my weaknesses that I make me, might make much of God. He testifies how God helped him through. When trials reveal our weakness and our need, often it's trials that get us to turn from our strength, from our path to God. Well, up to this point, coming back to Jacob, up to this point, Jacob had relied on himself, but his strength and his planning was not sufficient to overcome. And here his strength is not sufficient to overcome in this situation. Though the man does not crush Jacob, we can't, neither can we say that Jacob defeated the man. Who was this man? Who, who was this? Well, we read here that the man identifies himself as God. Jacob's been wrestling with God as he has taken the form of a man. And at daybreak, the Lord says to Jacob, let me go for the day has broken. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Well, that's rather interesting. What's happened in this situation? What's going on? Jacob's wrestling with a man. The man touches his hip, puts it out of joint, and all he's left able to do is to, is to cling to God. And he learns in this battle that he could not take the blessing from God. He could not take anything from God, but merely ask, plead for God to be gracious. Remember, children, what the name of Jacob is. It's heel grabber, right? Or deceiver. He thought he could get blessing by grabbing, by taking hold of it in his own, through his own plans. But now he faces God and 
He's in the fight of his life. He recognizes that before him is the one who has the blessing that he needs. He knows that much. He's understanding that this is the one that he needs to look to. He wrestles with him all night, and he, when he realized who it was he was wrestling with, he was determined to win that blessing, to gain that blessing, but it wasn't going to go the way he wanted it to go. The man, though he did not overpower Jacob, touched Jacob's hip, put it out of socket, which rendered him helpless. All Jacob could do was to cling on, to cling, to hold on, to plead for the blessing. When Jacob responds, it sounds like a demand, doesn't it? God says, let me go. And Jacob responds, I will not let you go unless you bless me. But we ought to understand this more as a bold request in the, uh, at the remembrance of a promise. Jacob has received promise from God. He understands who is with uh, fighting him. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I, I can't look anywhere else for blessing. You must bless me. In a few hours, he's going to face Esau and he's determined to hear God repeat the promise of his blessing because he's not certain about the future. He thinks perhaps that Esau will kill him. He wants to hear from the Lord that the blessing still rests upon him. He knows his past. He knows the immediate future. Consequences of his sin are tormenting his mind, so he clings to God and cries out for grace. Do your, your sins ever trouble you like that? Do you ever... Think over your week and say, oh, I don't know if the Lord is still with me. How could he bless me given what I do? You ever come to a place where you think, oh, the consequences for this sin are going to be heavy. I don't think I can do this. And the Lord is as near as a prayer. He works by his spirit to lead us to call out to him. At least that's what we ought to do. Sin has its consequences, but the Lord has removed that greatest consequence, which is death. As we cling to God, as we cling to his promises in Christ, we know that we can be delivered. Jacob speaks these words, and in verses 27 and 28, he speaks again. He says, what is your name? And Jacob responds, my name is Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. His past really captured his name, heel grabber, one who grasps or deceiver. And now his name is going to be changed to Israel. What does this mean? What does this name mean? Well, James Boyce interprets the compound name this way, God prevailed. The name's made up of two words, Tzarah and El. El is the Hebrew for God and Tzarah for one who struggles, one who prevails. In light of verse 40, uh, 28, rather, many commentators understand the focus to be on Jacob because God says there, you have wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. But this Compound name seems to point not just to Jacob, but to God. Think about other compound. I want us to just think through this a bit. Think about other compound names in the Old Testament. Daniel, 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 God judges. 
Right? There, God is the subject, not he who judges God, but God judges. Or Samuel, not uh, God hears or God heard, not he who hears God, though in that case there is something to that. But here, what are we, what are we seeing? This is, this is Israel. It is God struggling or prevailing with his people. I think that I'm persuaded that makes more sense of what's happening here. Understanding verse 28 is there, but, but, but think about this with me for a moment. God is the one who prevails in Jacob's life, bringing him to this point of submission, even as, and this is where we, we see Israel being to Jacob, even as Jacob prevails with God in saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. His faith is what is evident here. He's saying, I can only go to you for blessing. I can only find my blessing in you. So it really has a, a, a dual meaning or, a, or a, two different subjects, God in one sense and Jacob in the other. And it lays before us our uh, our. Life. Jacob acknowledges that God is the victor, and in this he wins. He also prevails. He also wins. He then learns, I must submit to him and gain blessing from him. It reminds me of the scene in Job after he had raised all his questions with God. God spoke to him, and Job responds this way, My ears had heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Bringing to a place of of repentance. Bringing a place of, of saying, I am nothing before the holy God. But he is everything and he is my all. And he will give what he has promised. In weakness, Jacob gives up on his way and submits to God. He submits to him for the promise and God spares him. That's what he says. Verse 30, he names the place Peniel. There's the L again, the face of God. For I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. Now, children, I want you to understand something. It's not that the Lord couldn't have defeated Jacob, that he couldn't have pinned him. But rather, it is the Lord matching his strength with Jacob, that in his struggle, he might learn that he cannot gain the victory himself. He is not destroyed, but neither is he left to his own strength. He learns to cling to God and not fight him. And God graciously spares him as he teaches him this lesson. As I worked through this sermon, I was thinking about the theme for the RYS convention this week, but God, right? And, and that's, that's the reality in Ephesians 2, 4 there. But God, who is rich in mercy, while we were still dead in our sin, he has raised us up. He has given us strength. He has made us strong in him, in Christ. That's what you'll hear this week. And that's what we are reminded of here in this place. God makes us alive to him and to his power. On the other side of those events which reveal our weakness, 
God is already there waiting to bless us. And that's an interesting point here as well. Verse 29, it says, Jacob asked, please tell me your name. But God said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. There, in that moment of weakness, in that acknowledgement, where Jacob says, my name is not blessing, but your name is blessing. There in that place, God blessed him in that position of weakness. God had blessed Jacob in many ways back at the end of chapter 30, right? Uh, Flocks and herds, household, all had increased in number. But here is Jacob's greatest blessing where he acknowledges and understands that in God, this God who is over all, he has life. He is strong to save and gracious to bless and will protect All the blessings which God gives in life pale in comparison to that gift of knowing God as our life. Knowing God as our salvation. He was made aware of God. All the blessings pale in comparison to the gift of faith. Faith which unites us to Christ and seals the promise of God's protection from death. Now, that doesn't mean in our prayer life we don't ask for protection. Jesus teaches his disciples, right? Deliver me from my enemies. Doesn't mean we don't pray for food. Lord, give us our daily bread. We learn those things. We must pray those things. But we, above all, ask that God, our Father in heaven, would give us a heart to know him as our Father, the one who works on our behalf that we might be delivered from death, that we would then love him for life. In times of crisis, God helps us see more clearly. We see our need. We see our need of God more than money, more than strong bodies. We need to give ourselves to him. That's not less than giving financial offerings. That's part of the way we show our trust in him, but it's more. It's not less than worshiping him here in church, but it's more. It's serving him with our minds and bodies every day. After God gives Jacob his new name, Jacob asks him his name. And the Lord gives a rather mysterious reply. Why is it that you ask my name? Why does he respond that way? First time I read, I just think, why, why doesn't he just tell him? Well, he already has, hasn't he? Through his grandfather Abraham, through his father Isaac, What did he say at Bethel? I am the Lord. He's revealed who he is. Jacob doesn't need to ask again. Jacob needs to accept what he's heard. He needs to believe what he's been told. The Lord says to him, in effect, don't you know me yet? You should. And you should fulfill your vow. What was his vow? Back in chapter 28, what did he say? Verse 20, Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. The Lord says, It's time. This is time. Is that true for you, young people? Have you made profession of faith? You say, This God is my God and I want all to hear that. He has done marvelously. He has provided, keeping his promise. 
Well, ask yourself, what do I cling to? Do I see my need of God? Am I convinced that he's able to deliver me from whatever difficulty I face? This passage is not teaching that the Lord is too weak to prevail against men. It teaches that he comes in compassion. It's teaching us his, of his compassion prevailing in us through our trials. He doesn't destroy but exposes the heart. He doesn't come to destroy Jacob but to turn Jacob from himself to himself, that is to God. He wants Jacob to say with the psalmist, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Well, then finally, this morning, we see that Jacob's left with a limp. As a result of this meeting, we might say, what good is a limping man to God? Children, remember what Jacob's like, right? He, who, who removed the stone from the well when Rachel needed to water her sheep? The men are all standing around going, well, we're not going to do anything. We've got to wait till everybody gets here so we can move the stone. And Jacob says, well, maybe not quite that easy. But he removes the stone himself. He's a strong man. He's a mighty man in God's strength. And yet here he's now left with a limb. One commentator asks, what do you think about this picture of Jacob as he clings desperately to the angel? Does it seem pitiful? Does Jacob seem to be a loser now, a weakling? He says, this is not a sad picture. It's a picture of a man now remade in God's image, surrendered to the will of God. It's a picture It's a picture of faith. Jacob clinging. It's easy for us to be, to see Jacob as a rather pathetic figure. We like strength. We like to watch shows that magnify human strength and all that we can do and accomplish. And we kind of forget that we have our limits, that we are needy. Jacob didn't win the match. He could make no boast against God, but that is as it is meant to be. When we come to God, we make no boast before him. We wrestle in trial. We learn we must trust in the Lord who is our strength. We are not recipients of blessing because we deserve it, because we've won it, but because he is gracious to give it. When the evangelist D.L. Moody was just starting out in his ministry, he heard a preacher say, The world has yet to see what God can do with one man fully surrendered to him. And that night, Moody said, by God's grace, I'll be that man. Well, that's a very noble sentiment. Fully surrendered to God. And Moody's ministry was impactful. But I have a quibble with the minister's statement that there has never been a man who's fully surrendered to God because there was. His name is Jesus. Fully surrendered. What Jesus has taught us is that we are strongest when we admit our weakness and need of God and then go forth in his strength to do his will, his way, not our will, our way. Human strength will not gain heaven. That's why the gospel is so offensive for it says that it is by grace alone that you're saved through faith It's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. So, oh, no, you don't see how, you don't know how much I can bench press. You don't know how far I can run. 
You don't know how invincible I am. Talk to me when you're nearing the end of your life again and seeing your own finiteness. We balk at the statement that human strength will not gain anything that it wants. Human strength, humanity cannot gain heaven in its own strength, but must submit to God. What we're fearful of is we're fearful that we'll be taken advantage of. We say, well, if I show any signs of weakness, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly be taken advantage of. I will be left unprotected. But we must not forget then who does protect us, who promises to keep us, who promises to spare us from death and bring us into everlasting life, even our God. He's our strength. We must ask ourselves, where is God meeting me and calling me to submit to him? That's the life of saving faith. We limp in ourselves, but God gives us strength to carry on. He makes his strength known when we entrust ourselves to him. No one but one does that perfectly. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was fully surrendered to God. He submitted to the Father's will for him, which meant his death, to make atonement for sin. He is that, as it's been noted, that true and better Jacob who wrestled in the garden with the agony of what was coming before him at Calvary. But he didn't run away. He went to the cross. He was not spared the judgment, but bore the judgment that we deserved so that in him we might be set free. So that we, like Jacob, as one has put it, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. We're left reminded of our weakness, but we're not crushed. Left reminded of our weakness so that we remember where our true strength is found. We thank God for coming to us and revealing his strength to us and revealing our weakness to us and then showing us his grace and his mercy, his compassion. And then we can say he will deliver whatever we face, whatever we face tomorrow, whatever Esau is before us, whatever challenging circumstance, for he is our strength. Amen. Let's pray. And Father in heaven, we recognize that we are weak in ourselves. We must surrender ourselves to you and acknowledge that our life is found in you and our protection is secured by you. There are many things that cause us to fear. There are many things that are bigger and stronger than us. We are finite. But in you, we have no fear. In you, we move forward boldly in meekness, proclaiming truth. Lord, give us that meekness, but that boldness to speak of the strength that is to be found in you. We ask, Lord, that we would learn today from this passage how we are to submit to you where we aren't submitting to you that we might become more and more like your son who gave himself even unto death. Oh, Lord, you don't call us to die for our salvation. You call us to live for you. 
Give us your spirit that we might do that, that you might be glorified in us. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.